Good morning. It's really good to be here with you today. My name is Ruth Hassel. I'm part of the staff team here. And um, I don't know about you, but I've been really loving this series that we've been going through, looking at the God who welcomes and exploring different categories of people. And as we've been going through this series, um, something has kept coming back to my mind. Um, a whole number of years ago, I lived in a flat in the top floor. And while I was living there, I decided to have a new kitchen fitted. And as part of that process, a plumber came in to do some of the plumbing, as they do, and um, unfortunately managed to cut one of the water pipes. And so water started pouring out faster than we could stop it. I couldn't quite remember where that special switch is to switch the water off. So it went for longer than it should have done. And there came a moment when I had to go downstairs to my neighbor and to apologize and say, I am so sorry for what is happening through your ceiling. And um, so I braced myself. I went down ready to see them. And I um, was totally surprised with a hugely philosophical response that I got from my neighbor. Their response was, hmm. I have to tell you, they're Italian. Hmm. Today it is you, tomorrow it's me. <laughs> and I just thought that was such an incredible, gracious response. But as we've been looking at um, this series about the God who welcomes, for me there's been in that my, my mind, and I think as Maya um, highlighted earlier, that actually we find ourselves on both sides of the equation, don't we? That we find ourselves as those, as, as God's people, who are called to represent something of his heart and to be those who offer that welcome. But equally, there are times when we find ourselves on the receiving end of that, that actually we find ourselves thoroughly in that category. And that that's the joy of the journey of faith, isn't it? That it's not this complete finished thing, it's a movement. Um, where we find ourselves both as those that offer for those that also receive. And so let us pray as we, we look at this passage, as we continue with our theme today, looking at the God who welcomes the doubter. Father God, we thank you so much for the gift of your word. Thank you for all that it contains um, to speak of your heart for us. Thank you that it's there to encourage and to strengthen and to comfort and also to bring challenge. So, Lord, I pray today that as we again gather around your word together, that we would hear you speak, that we would know more of who you are, and that our hearts would respond in that overflow to your love. As this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. And so here in this story, I don't know if you've ever had one of those experiences where you know a group of friends have gone out and have been part of something and they come back full of stories of all the good things that they've seen or been part of. And there comes that moment where they just say, oh, you had to be there. You really had to be there to, to get the fulfillment of this. You really have to have been there to understand just how brilliant it was. And your heart kind of sinks and you try and convince them that you're not that fussed really. It was fine. You know, I didn't have FOMO. Um, it was that kind of, it's all good. But inside you're going, I should have been there. Well, that's the scenario that Thomas finds himself in our passage today. And I really feel for Thomas that, unfortunately, that is what he gets remembered for, for the rest of time, was this moment of question that, you know, we still use his name in common day chastisements, don't we, of don't be a doubting Thomas, come on, get on board with what we're doing, halt your questions, that this poor guy is now remembered forever as Thomas the doubter. 
Can you imagine being named after your worst day? <laughs> or even your best day, I don't know. But Paul Thomas getting used in that way. But the context of this passage is, if you read the passage just before, um, the disciples are gathered together. They have just seen Jesus crucified. There is rumors of his resurrection that he might actually be alive again. But even so, they find themselves gathered in a secret place, we're told, for fear of the Jews, for fear of what might become of them if it gets out that they were followers of Jesus. And what had happened was they were gathered together in fear when Jesus comes and stands among them and declares his peace over them. This was a transformative moment for them, that they went from being this frightened, scared group of people to being out there declaring, we've seen the Lord, but Paul Thomas wasn't there when this happened. And we have this wonderfully human account of Thomas that even though he can see the difference in them, they've gone from being scared to overflowing with, with this joy of having seen Jesus. Um, he comes up with his doubts and his questions of unless I see for myself, unless I can touch and put my hands in those places, I won't believe your incredible claims despite seeing what's going on in front of him. But I think we need to remember that for Thomas as for us, that that's not the completeness of his story, is it? That no one of us is all of one thing. I know my own heart that there are some days where I do feel like my, my faith could move mountains. And then there are other days when, do you know what, I'd be lucky to move anything. <laughs> and that's the reality of the journey of faith, isn't it? That we're not all one thing. And actually, if you track back through the Gospels, you see Thomas playing different roles. That back in chapter 11 of John's Gospel, we have the story recorded for us where news has come to Jesus that one of his close friends, Lazarus, was incredibly sick and on the point of death. And the disciples are encouraging Jesus to say, why won't you go? They're all a bit sort of baffled by this. But Jesus waits for another few days until news has come through that Lazarus has actually died. And then he chooses to go knowing that this would be a dangerous route to take place and to get to the place where Lazarus was. And Thomas is the one who speaks up and says, guys, come on, let us go with him. Now, to be fair, he is a bit of a pessimist. He says, let's go with him that we might die too. So, you know, he, there is something in his heart. But actually, there is this commitment of faith of we are with Jesus, and where he goes, we will go. And if that's going to cost our life, this is Thomas the doubter speaking. Fast forward a little bit to chapter 14, and we have the bit where Jesus is gathered with the disciples and is saying to them, you know, in my father's house there are many rooms, and I'm going to go and prepare a place for you, and when that place is ready, you can come and join me there. And I just picture that scene in my mind with a whole number of the disciples nodding and kind of going, oh, that's beautiful. That's really beautiful. And then it's Thomas who kind of ventures out and puts his hand up and says, um, <clears throat> just a little question. <laughs> we don't know where it is that you're going, so how can we come and find you there? And I kind of imagine that half the disciples are going, oh yeah, good question, I haven't thought about that. But maybe some of them are thinking, thank goodness somebody asked that. Because I was wondering that myself, but I don't say it. And so Thomas is the one who voices his questions out loud, who's willing to say those thoughts that are going through his head that isn't happy to stay in that place of questioning. And so here we have Thomas again, 
willing to put his thoughts out there, willing to put his questions and his doubts out in the company of others. But he's not just going to accept their claims, but he wants to see it for himself. And in doing so, and in being willing to express this, actually he opens up the stage for another appearance of Jesus, for his benefit, that he would have his questions answered and his doubts quashed. And through that meeting, through that encounter, we see that Thomas's faith is stretched and expanded by meeting the risen Christ, that actually Jesus comes and meets him in that place, shows him that actually the questions you have, I'm not afraid of, here I am. I will meet you in that place of your doubt and your questioning. Jesus moves closer to him in that place of question and doubt. And I don't know about you, but I find that an incredibly moving passage for us, that Jesus would do that, that he wouldn't just send a message or go, well, maybe one day, Thomas, you will hear, but actually he meets him in that place. And as we read on, we see that it leads this incredible confession of Thomas, my Lord and my God. His heart is settled on this issue, that he has seen the risen Christ and his questions have been, um, have been held. And I, I really believe that often that's what honest expression of doubt can do, that it doesn't destroy faith as maybe we fear it might. Maybe that's why we're frightened to express our questions, that either in expressing them it's going to destroy whatever I've got left, or we're afraid of hearing them because we don't know how to answer them. But actually, in expressing our questions and our doubts, it doesn't destroy faith. It often leads to a deeper faith. Because faith and doubt are not opposites of each other. Doubt is not unbelief. Os Guinness um, has a great quote where he says that um, faith and um, doubt is faith in two minds. That it is having that sort of certainty if I know what I believe, but actually sometimes I have questions around that. There are things that are going. And as we read through the story of the Bible, if one of the things that it teaches us is that God is not afraid of people's questions. He's not afraid for people to come and say there are things that I don't understand. There are doubts that I have because what I can see with my eyes doesn't necessarily add up to what I'm trying to believe through your word. Recently, we were looking at the story of Ruth, and in the story of Ruth, we meet Naomi, who I love because she is not afraid to hurl her questions at God. She's not afraid to rename herself with this expression of the question of, has, has the loving kindness, the loving faithfulness of God run out for me? She's not afraid to express that. You read on into the book of Job, and again, here is Job who once more hurls his questions at God, and God takes hold of them, and perhaps frustratingly doesn't answer them, but meets them with his own questions. And more than that, for both of those, we've seen in place of sort of tidy, clean answers, God gives himself which actually is a much deeper answer that actually our hearts are longing for. Those answers to those questions of, is God good? Is he truly for me? Is he here with me? That the tidy answers don't always meet the answer, do they, that, that our hearts long for. And over many years, people have done a lot of work around, how do we grow in faith? What are the things that we need in place to be able to mature in faith? 
And in recent, uh, in, sorry, in different roles that I've played over the years, this has been sort of an area of, um, of work that I've looked at, particularly in relation to children and young people. How do we nurture faith in a way that helps it to grow and to, um, to get deeply rooted? And uh, there's a guy called John Westerhoff who wrote much about how faith grows. And he asked that question, will our children have faith? And he decided that there were four stages that are needed to come to sort of a place of solid faith. And don't panic, I won't give you my three-hour lecture on faith development right now. But I think it is useful to know that he talks about four different stages. And he talks, I'm not young, here we go. He talks about the first stage. He says, our first experience of faith is experiencing the faith of others. That's where we first encounter it. So if our experience of faith is good, or of people of faith, the likelihood is we might come back for some more. You see that for, for children, it's why it's really important, you know, that we, even from the youngest age, that our welcome is warm, that our rooms are good, that there's a good place for them to be as they experience what it is. For Alpha, if that first night is cold and horrible, people will not come back because their experience has not been great. So then what we do is we move on then. And I love it because he talks about faith development as the rings on a tree, not as a linear progression. So we travel backwards and forwards. He says, but the next stage is about affiliative faith, that sense of belonging, that I may not sign up or fully assent to all that you're teaching, but I feel that this is my place. This is where I belong. It's why it's so important that we have um, group names for our children's groups, that sense of belonging, that this is our place, that we're as much part of this church as anybody else, that we have our home here, that we belong. And um, that's what helps you feel, isn't it, that you've got a place here. And then he talks about the third stage, which is really key, and many of the faith development theorists have sort of said, this is what often gets overlooked, is there has to be a time of searching faith. That time where if you've grown up through a, a Christian home, you ask those questions of, is this true because it's true, or simply because I trust those who've told it to me? There comes a point where I have to wrestle with it, that there are questions I need to ask, that it needs to be robust enough for me to be able to bring my questions to it. And what I love about his thing is that because there is this movement backwards and forwards, because actually we haven't encountered at any point all that life holds for us. And his recognition is that there comes different moments when different things happen that make us question. My heart goes out to Thomas and the disciples here, because actually... They had invested everything in following Jesus. And here they were wondering, what was that for? Was it all going to come for nothing? What was going to be the way ahead for them? Making them question maybe everything they had ever believed to be true. And there has to be that recognition that as we journey through life, we encounter different things that maybe at certain points make us ask that question. Where everything is turned upside down. And there is that sense of, how do I hold on to this? Everything that I've held to be true feels like it's up for question. He said that is so important that we create space for that. That we don't try and fill it with trite answers because God never seeks to do that. That his response is come and bring your questions. Bring your doubts. And he said it's only then when we've been able to wrestle and continuously do this wrestling that able, we're able to come to a place of owned faith. That doesn't mean that there are never m any more questions, but actually there's a traveling um, in between of, I do believe, help me in my unbelief. I do believe that this is a whole new situation. 
need to come again and ask my questions. And knowing that God welcomes those things. And so if doubt has ever been part of your story of faith or if it's part of a chapter that you're living right now, and to be honest, I don't know that I've ever met anybody with a healthy faith for whom it hasn't been part, but I want you to know you are in good company here this morning. I mean, after all, we are gathered in the church of St. Thomas, so <laughs> the kind of the name's over the door there. But actually, this is a place, hopefully, where we can bring our questions, that we can raise those things and not feel that this is an absence of faith. But actually, it's about a deep longing to deepen faith and to know God's truth. As I say, Os Guinness is very keen that we, we know that doubts are not the absence of faith, that it's faith in two minds. And he says it's a suspended place where belief and unbelief are held together that there do come those moments where we, it feels like our, we're in two minds over things because I know what I know to be true, but how do I engage with this situation? How do I face those questions? But it's often when we allow ourselves to sit in the tensions of our questions that that is where God meets us in a way that we can't imagine. In the honesty of that place that doesn't try and hide, that doesn't come in fear, because God knows our hearts anyway, that actually is able to bring those questions, not because I'm trying to deny my faith, but because I want to search and to go deeper and to be able to hold it true. That actually as we bring our questions, that's where deep searching begins and where God can meet us in the truth and honesty of that place. So important that we create space for each other to be able to bring those questions without fear. Because when we don't express them, they just grow inside of us, don't they? And start becoming all-consuming. Whereas actually the invitation is to come and to bring them. I love it when you read through the Psalms, that you can tell when the psalmist is going through a difficult time, often what they do is they reflect on the things that they've known of God in the past. They rehearse for themselves. These are the things that God has done. And remind themselves that actually he has proven himself trustworthy in the past, and because of that, even though my future is unknown and feels insecure, I'm going to pin everything on what I've known of God before and take that forward with me into my future. Another author called Rachel Held Evans said this. She said, faith isn't about having everything figured out ahead of time. Faith is about following the quiet voice of God without having everything figured out. I love the quote that Maya read at the start. Um, isn't that true? Actually, often I fear people who do feel that everything is sorted out and nailed down, that there are no questions. Because I don't believe that God invites us to a blind faith. I think he invites us to a committed and complete faith. And to get to that healthy place can only be found by traveling through our questions and bringing those um, to bear. Trusting what we know about God. And I wonder if that's what maybe Jesus was hoping for in his conversation with Thomas when he says to him, Thomas, you believe because you've seen, but blessed are those who believe when they haven't. Perhaps there was something in his heart that was saying, oh, Thomas, you have spent all this time with me. Oh, my heart would long for you to be able to draw on all that you've known so that you can take that into this moment. But actually that sense of that invitation to build our lives on the rock, that firm foundation of who Jesus is, of all that God has done, to be people who remind ourselves of that. 
which then again highlights the importance of community, doesn't it? I love that Thomas is again found in the community of the disciples. That actually there are times when we need to come alongside each other and go, do you know what? My faith is low. Can you hold out yours? <laughs> My questions are big. Can you stand with me in them? That actually it's important that we spend those times together, that the times when we gather in our, in our life groups or in our small groups, that those are places where we can bring our questions rather than feeling we have to hide or keep silence. In Hebrews, the, the author of Hebrews encourages us and says, you know, for each one of us, there is a race of faith set out before us. And that that's not always a straight path, that there are obstacles that get in the way. But his encouragement that he gives and the encouragement that we need to give each other is that we fix our eyes on Jesus, that he is the author and perfecter of our faith. And as the author and perfecter, he knows the questions that come with it. But keeps that invitation coming, will you fix your eyes on me? That as God's people, we encourage each other, fix your eyes on him. Not with trite answers, but with creating that space where we can say, bring the questions in. Let's hold them precious together and see what God's heart has to say. And the difference that we see for this community um, recorded for us, the community of disciples that ran away, were huddled together in fear. This was a group of people that then, having encountered the risen Jesus, went on to change the world. They were the ones who were willing to risk everything to proclaim the good news of the gospel of the risen Jesus. <coughs> Tradition tells us that um, Thomas himself was the first person who took the gospel of Jesus to India, that he was willing to risk everything of his encounter with the risen Jesus that he couldn't keep for himself. That walking through that place of being able to ask the questions leads to such a solid faith that actually just leads to this overflow of my Lord and my God. <laughs> I can declare with confidence of who you are. And Tertullian, and sort of reflecting on the disciples and the, the first Christian martyr said this, he said, no one would be willing to die unless they knew they had the truth. People wouldn't have died for a dream or a figment of their imagination. But there is something about having that encounter with the risen Jesus that enabled them to go, you know, I don't know everything. <laughs> I don't have everything pinned down. But I know who I've believed in. And I'm going to go confidently and trusting in him. So I believe that God's invitation for all of us whether our questions are quiet or whether they're loud, is that we would draw near. I love that line in the communion service where we're encouraged to draw near with faith. However big or however small it is, draw near with faith and gather around the Lord's table where we remember all that Jesus did for us. That in those days when we feel like maybe we're hanging onto our faith by our fingertips, actually we remember the love of Christ that took him to the cross and know that we are held securely in that place. That we come and remember all that he's done. That we come and we draw near with faith and all the questions that are part of that, that actually we're willing to wrestle with them because actually it's a, they matter. And it's about wanting that deeper place of assurance. And as I finish, I just want to read some words um, from another author called Kat Wordsworth. So she was reflecting on this line of draw near with faith. And she says this, draw near with faith. 
whether you feel held by an expertly knotted rope or by a single fraying thread. Draw near with faith whether you feel that the door is wide open or if you feel that you have knocked for so long that your knuckles are sore. Draw near with faith whether personal relationship feels like a reality or if it feels like something far off. Draw near with faith whether it feels thankful and peaceful or churning with lament and longing. Draw near with faith whether faithfulness comes easy or it's a decision that you have to courageously bink each day. Draw near with faith and encounter the compassion that Jesus has for all those that will seek. That is the invitation. It's not that we leave everything at the door to come into this space, but God's welcome is that we come with all that we are, with questions that we have, and know that actually his heart is then right, we can do something about this. We can talk, can meet you in that place of honesty. So my encouragement to my own heart, <laughs> encouragement to us as um, the people here at St. Thomas's, is that we would be a people who would be willing to draw near with faith, with our questions, alongside each other. And this morning, if you have come with things that are, that are bubbling up and are overwhelming, um, or things that you've been wrestling with for a while, um, we'd love to, to take some time to pray with you, not that there are easy answers or solutions, but actually to, to stand with you in prayer, to fix our eyes on Jesus that he would meet us in that place. So if you would like to have somebody pray with you um, at the end of the service, there'll be some people over here who would happily do that. But have that encouragement each day to draw near with faith, knowing that God is faithful and that he will meet us in that place. He welcomes